Hey, welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. My name is Jay Stovall, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. I thank you for tuning in to our podcast channel. The message that you are about to listen to is from our preview services. These services were opportunities for people to experience the culture, DNA, and vision of Portrait Church, which is to give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church. I thank you for listening in. If you want to know more about our church, you can visit portrait.church or come hang out with us on Sundays at the Mitten Building. I hope you enjoy this message. So on, I believe it was 2012, it was December, um, my, one of my good friends, Trey, he was doing a Bible project uh, in college, and he wanted to put together a video, essentially where we were asking people the question, who is it that you say Jesus is? So we went to downtown Riverside, and um, I grabbed a, a, a camera, and he would just go one by one, hey, who, this guy, Jesus, like, who is it that you think he is? And one by one, we would get certain answers from different people all across the, all across the spectrum of, well, he was a good uh, man. He was a religious leader. He was a teacher. Um, he is uh, a myth. Um, he is misogynistic. Um, all the good and bad. But there was one answer that struck with, that, that stuck with me for the entire, it's been over 10 years now. And we had a chance to connect with this homeless man, Chris. And Chris, you know, um, had been living out in the streets for, I believe, 10 plus years. And to be honest with you, I didn't really have high expectations uh, for his answer, to be honest. But Chris looks at me and Trey in the face. And he says, I believe that Jesus is God. And I believe, and he has the, he said this quote that has stuck with me, that if Jesus were living here on earth today, many Christians would not know where to find him because he would be with people that they are not willing to be with. The famous theologian Chris from downtown Riverside. That many Christians would not know where to find him because he would be with people that they would not be willing to be with. And you see, here in our text, we have Jesus, who is a Jew. He's a Jewish rabbi, and he is in a geographical location where Jews did not really go to. They did not find themselves there. You see, there is a deep history of Jews and Samaritans. The Jews viewed the Samaritans not only as children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted. You see, tradition-centered worship in Jerusalem, in the temple, but because they couldn't mix, the, the Samaritans had to erect their own rival temple on the Mount of Gerizim. It would be very common in this culture that a Jewish family would raise their children to be hostile and to have hatred towards Samaritans. So here we have ethnic, racial, and religious issues that made Jews feel some type of way towards Samaritans. They believed that Samaritans were racially impure, religiously heretical, and therefore they were to be avoided at all costs. They were described as unclean people. 
And so because of that, many of them did not, many Jews did not take the route that Jesus was taking to get from Judea to Galilee. They would take the longer route simply to avoid these people. It's like if you were living in Redlands and you wanted to get out to Palm Springs, but you're like, yo, man, those people from Ukaipa, like real talk, we're going to go through Moval. We're going to go through the murder, <laughs> right? <laughs> and not go. I, if you're from Ukaipa, that was a joke. I don't feel that way about you. It's like their first time here and I'm already making fun of you and now you leave. That's not it. That's not it. It's just, it's just a metaphor. Okay, go with it. But, but here's what Jesus is, is doing here. He, he's going through the route that makes the most sense geographically. Like this is the way to go. And he didn't want to take the longer route because he knew that there was a divine appointment. Jesus doesn't take the long route for cultural avoidance. He takes the necessary route for divine deliverance. I'm going to be honest with you. I know for many of us, it's our first time meeting. It's our second time. But one of the most profound things that I have been really surprised by over the last four years are how many even friends and Christians that I know that have, quote unquote, left California because they did not want to be around the impure Democrats. They have taken the long route somewhere else, simply maybe not because God called them, but because they just couldn't stand to be around those people anymore. Can I just tell you that the way of Jesus, it gets at the core of all of our motivations and why we do what we do. Jesus takes the necessary route. He's willing to get himself, quote unquote, unclean because there's something divine that is going to happen. And sadly, I think we're starting to live even more in a, in a culture where the church is more vocal about who they are against. And then we lose out on divine opportunities to invite people to encounter the life-changing love and truth of Jesus. Jesus is simply saying, I don't care how unclean you are, you ain't about to get me dirty. Your level, there's no amount of uncleanliness that is going to get him dirty. He is holy. He is perfect. It does not matter the route he's going through because it is necessary. And what he does in this moment, I think is great because he's fully God, but he's also fully man. So he shows off his humanity here because it's been a long journey and he's tired. He's tired, so he sits down. And there's a Samaritan woman who approaches to draw water. And, and Jesus, he turns to her and says, can I have a drink? You see, back then, there's something significant about why this woman is here at the time that the text says noon. So when you walked into here, I imagine it was probably pretty warm outside, right? Right, I think it was like, we woke up this morning, it was like already 80 degrees, like what is this? By noon, it's, it's supposed to be 100. Yeah, so enjoy the cool now because when you step out here, you're going, it's, it's like hell out there, right? But, but here's something that we need to understand. Back then, women, when they went to go get water, they would typically do it in the morning. And they would do it in the morning because of availability and convenience. The morning water was more likely to be clean, to be plentiful. It was cooler temperatures in the morning. 
You see, the women are carrying these heavy vessels and carrying it in the heat for too long could be very damaging to their physical health. Women did it in the morning because there was an opportunity to socialize, to bond, to meet. You know, for some women, I guess it's probably like the gospel hour. Like, girl, did you see what she did last night? That girl that came into town again. Right, it's, it's, it was where women had the chance to just connect and socialize, build community. And then going in the morning was good for household management because there were crucial tasks that water was needed for. Cooking, cleaning, hygiene. So going in the morning was crucial. But here, this woman finds herself going at noon, the hottest time of the day. And she's traveling, traveling alone. And we will find out in a minute why that is. And then to add on, it was very scandalous for a woman to be alone with a man, especially who was not her husband or not family. So here she is minding her business and Jesus sits down and says, can I have some water? Verse nine, she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She understands the cultural implications of this moment. She understands Samaritan, Jew, don't mix, man, woman, let alone rabbi. Jesus being a rabbi, they, there, there was rules about rabbis even being allowed to talk to women. So here we have Jesus crossing geographical barriers, ethnic barriers, gender barriers, and he completely ignores her comment. He, he, don't even, he, he ignores it. You know what he says? Verse 10. Girl, if you knew, I don't know if it sound like some of y'all been, if you just knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, if you knew, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus does something interesting here. Jesus is drawing her in. If you knew, means she don't know. And what he's doing is he's trying to make her curious about three things. If you knew the gift of God, he's trying to bring about curiosity as to who God is. If you knew who it, who it is it says to you, he's trying to bring about curiosity to himself, Jesus. And then it says, he would have given you living water. He's bringing out curiosity to her now of what this living water actually is. And then we see in verse 11, she starts going into, she doesn't understand. So she's thinking very practically like, well, I don't see that you have anything to draw water with. And so what, what is this living water that you have? And Jesus does this thing often where he, he, he uses physical items to teach spiritual truth. And she doesn't get it. She's first asking, well, where are you going to get this water? You have nothing to draw from. She doesn't know that who Jesus is because she's asking him, are you greater than our father Jacob who actually gave us as well? So Jesus uses this metaphor of water because he understands that water is vital to our life. Water is vital to living. 55 to 60% of our bodies are made up of water. There's researchers and studies that show that you will die quicker by dehydration than starvation. That most of the time when you go in and there's something wrong, they want to know if you're dehydrated. 
There was a 25-year study that just came out from the National Institutes of Health suggesting that poor hydration may be linked to early aging. Some of y'all said, "Uh uh-oh. Didn't drink enough water. And chronic diseases. 25-year study, they fought all these people and and, and, and they're noticing what something God already notices. You see, what God knows is that deep down inside, there's a spiritual dehydration that our souls need to be quenched by. And there's a water that he is offering here that she knows nothing about. And she doesn't understand because aside from oxygen, we need water to live. And Jesus understands that. He created us. He designed how, God, how, how life is to work. And so he looks at the well and he says this, whoever drinks from this water will have to come back. They'll be thirsty again. But you see the water, yo, the water that I have, whoever drinks from this water will never be thirsty. Matter of fact, that water will become a spring of water welling, bubbling up. It'll begin to overflow. And so the woman, of course, it sounds like a good opportunity. I'm sure she's thinking, man, I don't want to have to keep doing this in in the heat of the day. So she says, yes, give me the water so that I will not have to be thirsty and keep coming back to this. But again, she still doesn't get it. And now we find out what Jesus is after the entire time. It's fascinating. She's like, I want it. Go get your husband. What? No, no, no. You want this? Jesus, you could have just offered it to her. Like, aren't you the guy that spoke things into existence? Like, I'm sure you could just drop some water and a nice hydro flask for her right now, God. Couldn't you have done that? No, no, no. Go get your husband. She says, no, 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 sir. I don't have a husband. He's like, you know what? You're right, girl. You've had five. And the one that you have now is not your husband. Uh Uh-oh. Not your husband. And now all of a sudden she's like, okay, I perceive that you are a prophet. Here's the thing. Majority of my life, whenever I've heard this text preached, it's focused on the sexual immorality or the kind of promiscuity of this woman. The fact that she was married five times, now she's with another man who ain't her husband. And the conclusion is drawn that she's seen as an outcast in in the society. You see, she travels alone during the heat of the day because nobody wants to do it with her. There's too much shame. There's too much finger pointing. And so what she does is she waits. She, She probably peers out through the window to make sure that everyone is gone inside because she knows it's gonna be too much for her to be seen by everybody else. But can I offer you an, another perspective to this that, that, that most scholars also agree could have happened? You see, in Genesis, in the beginning of time, God orchestrates. He designed marriage. He designed for how it would flourish. And because sin would enter the world, it would distort God's like design for human flourishing, God's design for marriage to flourish, God's design for relationships to flourish. And as a result of human flourishing, it was distorted. And in the first century, women were often seen more as property than people. 
Women were given very little control. And when it came to divorce, the power of issuing the divorce was given to the man. And I understand it's hard for us to kind of understand culture back then, and and it's much different than ours now, but there were laws written for fallen people dealing in very hard situations that it is hard even for us to imagine. But here's one thing, that God was consistent in enacting rules and laws that spoke out in the defense of helpless women. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but as you begin to study more, I don't have as much time to get into it, but most of these laws are written to, to help these women. Because a woman's worth and her flourishing in that cultural time was tied to her marital status and being able to bear children. And what's crazy is as you begin to study those times, that, that it is very, very, very well possible that a man could divorce his, woman, his wife because of a moral behavior, but also because he just, didn't, he just wasn't really feeling her anymore. Sorry, feeling her means he just wasn't liking her that much. He didn't really find favor in his eyes towards her. One, one research says that, that a man could divorce his wife if, he, if she spoiled the meal that she made. And some of y'all in here are like, thank God we ain't living in those times. Because we can't even get the microwave meal right, Jesus. Men could wake up one day and not find their wives favorable, so it's on to the next. So it is quite possible that this woman whose value was tied to her marital status in this cultural time could have been divorced simply because husband after husband found reason not to like her. They would wake up one day and think, she's not it. So she could be dealing with an insurmountable amount of pain, and she, like many of us now, are trying to find love in all the wrong places. Jesus has this divine appointment with her. And unlike some of possibly her husbands and people in her community, he sees her value. He sees her humanity. And he's like, girl, I just, eventually what he's trying to get at is he wants her to know that her worth is not tied to being found in a man's kitchen, but it's tied to being in God's kingdom. He wants her to know that you have kingdom value. So go get your husband. And in this moment, you and I, whether we want to believe it or not, absolutely can identify with this woman. Jesus isn't trying to sidestep her desire to have living water. He's saying to her, that I, and what I believe he's saying to us right now, that if you want to understand what living water is, which is the deepest, most soul-satisfying substance you need to understand you're already attempting to look for it. You're looking for it in men. And some of us here, we're looking for it in money, in status, in career, in a house, in romance, in pleasure, pornography. You're looking for it in your kids, in the approval of others. You're looking for it in politics, in popularity. You're looking for it in building your own personal platform. You're looking for it in retirement. You're looking for it in the American dream. And if we try to find God's satisfying, life-altering, life-giving water 
in any of these things, he says, you will thirst again. Husband after husband after husband, career after career, promotion after promotion, Instagram posts to get all the likes and to just keep trying to do that. House after house, relationship after relationship. Whatever is stirring up in your heart right now that God is saying, you are thirsting more for this than me, you will have to come back and come back because it will never satisfy you. You see, all of these things will eventually enslave us. They'll make us have to earn. They'll make us have to earn these things. When what God is saying here, no, 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 no. This is a gift. This is simply a gift of grace. And before you can value the real thing, you must identify the counterfeit. Before you can value the, before I give you this living water, there's a counterfeit. Go get your husband. There's a counterfeit that many of you are valuing more than God. And right now in this moment, he's saying, go get that thing. There's generational issues in families today because people have a thirst problem. The problem is not discipling their families or their friend groups into the way of Jesus. The discipleship of the day is to do what makes you happy, to do what quenches your thirst. And can I tell you this, that all of these things that we are metaphorically looking for are leaving us spiritually dehydrated. We don't have enough for the journey that God's called us on this life, and now we don't have anything to offer others. But can I give you some really good news? Can I give you some good news? Yeah. The backdrop of this text in John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Check this out. Most people love to start, stop there. I think the next verse is honestly one of my favorites. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. To save the world. So when Jesus is asking this woman this question, he's, he's trying to cause curiosity to understand what is causing you to thirst. When Jesus is asking us to to answer the question, what are we thirsting for more than him? He's not doing it out of condemnation. He's doing it out of compassion to say, yo, I love you too much to let you sit there spiritually dehydrated. So I'm giving you my son. He did not come to condemn. He came to realign our thirst because the creator of the universe created you to thirst for him, for his will, for his way, and for his glory. And you see, the problem with sin that started from the very beginning of time is that you and I naturally, you and I naturally think we are really good at quenching our own thirst. You and I naturally, we choose to find satisfaction in other things because we don't believe what God said to be true. This is our natural state. And so during that time, cultural time, in order to deal with sin, you would go make sacrifices at the temple. And so here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus is getting at the core. He's getting at her heart. And, and I'm guessing it's probably uncomfortable. 
Because then she starts saying like, well, okay, so our people, we, we worship out there. And, and I know your people kind of worship in the temple. And she's going back into this religiosity of performance. Where, where do I got to go? Where do I got to go? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Your people worship in the temple. And then Jesus says something in verse 21 that is profound. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. The only way you and I will want to actually choose what's satisfying is by looking at the cross. Jesus says, sure, you want to get into this game? Yes, the true way to worship is in the temple. Yes, we got the keys That's the way. But the time is coming. Some translations, the hour has come. And in John, when he talks about the hour has come, he is always talking about going to the cross. The hour is going to come where it's not going to be there or here. It's going to be me. You are going to worship me. The life-changing power is going to be found in me. Jesus would walk down the road of life living perfectly taking on all of our sin, taking on all of our shame, dying for us, taking the heat of God's wrath and justice. So much so that the last thing Jesus said when he was on the cross was that he was thirsty. Give me a drink. He would take his last drink. He would say that it is finished and they would pierce his side with the spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, which medical professionals say that the water was confirmation, that the water being spilled out was confirmation that the death was final. And the good news is that that water would spill out into all of humanity. That water would spill out of that pierced side, covering and cleansing all the sin and shame in the world. He would say that it is finished. And this water that I have, this water that I want to give to you, it cost me my life. And the reality is, many of us and our desires will never change because you don't see the cost that it cost him to give it to us. Many of our desires, like so many of you try to white knuckle change. And you're never going to, it's never going to be satisfying because one day you will have to come back and he says, you will thirst again. That is what changes our hearts. That is what changed this woman's heart was the fact that there was living water that was a gift And the whole premise of a gift is that it becomes a gift once you accept it. You don't have to earn it. You don't got to start working for it. Like how weird would it be if I gave, got down on one knee, which I did, 
And I got this really expensive ring, which I could barely afford at the time, but we did it, thank God. And I got down on one knee, and I gave this ring to my wife and said, babe, will you marry me? And she were to say, okay, what do I got to do? No, babe, this is a gift. Like, I just, need you to, I just need you to put it on your finger. This is a gift. Girl, trust me, I didn't pay for this already. But how, how weird would it be if she said, okay, I'll take it, but what do I got to do? Nothing. Just put it on. Because you're mine, girl. Well, y'all know what I mean. I'm not trying. We won now, or we're about to be. Some of y'all, you are on the side of the road in shame. And there's a, there's a God who is offering you living water, who's trying to satisfy that deep desire, that thing that you keep going to. He's saying, stop going there. I have what you need. But also, if you are a Christian in the room, can I, can I remind you that there's no amount of knowledge that you have that makes you good enough to quench your own thirst? Can I remind you that, that the fact that you understand what it feels like to have your thirst quenched means that you want to see that for other people? You see, I started going, uh, and, and Janelle's here. She's the owner of this cool gym called Hotworks. And I started going to it in Redlands. It's a really cool gym. Um, and it's literally what it said. You work out and it's hot. It's like we're working in these sauna pods. And I'm like, it's good. how much does this go up to? 130 degrees. And so they cut. Yeah, whoa, that's what I said. I'm, it's two minutes in. Your boy already got to get a new shirt. I'm sweating. And they call me on the phone before my first workout. And they say, Jay, make sure you bring some water. I'm like, I've been in the gym before. What do I need water for? Y'all got a water fountain in there? Nah, Jake, make sure you bring some water. So like me, I forget the water. And I'm up in there on this like blast bike and I'm like, oh my God, how much time we got in there? It's only been two minutes. Oh my God. I feel like I'm in hell right now. God, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> but what happened from that moment is like when you step out of the heat and and when I take a drink of that water, there's something in there that just satisfies the thirst that I have. And I'm trying to tell everyone, yo, hey, man, make sure you bring your water bottle in there, bro. It's hot. Man, hey, I'll fill it up for you. Bring it in there. Because I understand what it's like to live in the heat. And I understand what it's like to know that there's living, there's, there's water waiting for you. You just got to grab it. You never know, you never know when you will have a divine appointment with Jesus. This was probably a normal day of shame for this woman, but she didn't know who she was about to run into at the well. Some of you, you were scrolling on an app and you just had a divine appointment with Jesus. You saw a portrait church and said, all right, maybe. And you're here today. It's a divine appointment. Some of you, you got a water bottle. You didn't know that there was a thirst that needed to happen in your heart. That there's no amount of worldly water that will quench that. That God wanted you here today because he wanted to introduce you to the the living water. Some of you had a divine appointment with maybe free coffee. And God wanted you to know that there's 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 a substance that he has for you. That you don't, you'll never have to go thirst again. 
wherever that may be, I think we need to know that it's not where you are going to find God. The good news is that God has found you. And he's found you because he sent his son to relate with you, to live this life perfectly, yet without sin. And Hebrews says, because of that, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with being thirsty, but one who was tempted and tried, but still lived out the will of the Father until it was finished. And he took on the heat of all of our sin and the wrath and said, I'm thirsty. But this water that's spilling out is going to be water that is going to sustain my people for all of eternity. And you know my favorite part of this text, honestly? Verse 29. The woman, she understands because she's saying, well, I know this Messiah's coming. I didn't heard about this man. And Jesus says, the one that you're hearing about, the one that you've been waiting for, it's me. And there's something that shifts in her in that moment. This man told her everything, yet in his grace, in his patience, in his kindness, he is still sitting here with the woman. And listen to what she says. She leaves her jar. She now becomes the jar. She now becomes the vessel. She now is filled with this living water. And she says, yo, come See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus chooses to reveal to this woman to be the first person that he was telling that he was the Messiah. The same woman who people wouldn't even walk to get water with. The same woman who has gone through five divorces and she with somebody that ain't her husband. This same woman, God chooses her to now take this message and go be a testimony. To, don't you think how, how much people would have responded to her? Y'all, this man told me everything. And I know y'all know half of my business, so it's everything. <laughs> Come see a man. You, how on earth does this woman go from going in the middle of the heat in shame to not want to be seen by anyone to go and proclaim that she met a man who told her everything. Y'all, living water. There's something that was satisfied in her soul in that moment, and she could not help but go and tell people about it. She became the vessel. Let me tell you about a man who told me everything about me. What if that was the way that we as a church ministered to the world? What if that was the way that we ministered through honesty about the things that we were thirsty for that didn't satisfy? What if that was how we ministered and served people? Through our weakness, through our mistakes. You see, the world doesn't need more like religious piety and arrogant Christians. The world needs Christians to model repentance. The world needs Christians to say, look, 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 look. I was searching for love in all the wrong places. I was thirsting after these things, but I met a guy and he told me everything about myself. Let me tell you about myself. You know, I used to find satisfaction in wanting to make people like me, seeking approval. I used to show up to work, not for the glory of God, but for what it did for me. 
I used to use relationships for how it made me feel. I would search on the internet things that I didn't, that I know I shouldn't look just because it was satisfying, but I met somebody who was more satisfying than all of that, and his name is Jesus. What if that was the way that we ministered to a watching world? Can I tell you my prayer for our church? It comes from this quote from Henry, Henry Nouwen, who says, God, help me to see others not as enemies or as ungodly, but rather as thirsty people. And give me the course and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches deep thirst. God, would that be, would that be our church? That we would practice and portray the way of Jesus that we would not lead with condemnation, but that we would lead with compassion, sparking curiosity. Yes, while keeping our convictions, for some of you that were waiting for me to say that. That we would be a community of vessels, willing to take, look, I pray. Like when we were engaging the city, when we were talking to, to people in and out the community, leaders and people that lived here, they talked about this north of the freeway and south of the freeway, which often was divided by ethnic barriers. They talked about, you know, how, how poorly I heard people talk about San Bernardino and some of the quote unquote ghetto areas. Look, look, look. This church is not a church that's just trying to go out and minister and see people as charity cases. We're trying to see people as community. And this is the way of Jesus, to take the road less travels, overcoming barriers, because the gospel is such good news. That's my prayer for this church, that we would exist to give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church, because we would be in places talking to people that most Christians would not find themselves at. That we would have a message that is filled with compassion and hope that we don't lead with condemnation because we know we have a savior who sent his son into the world to save the world and not condemn it. And so many people ask, how can we get involved here at Portrait? What are you guys doing? What does that look like? Is it, if, if you want to be, if you just want more information, let's put it that way, about who we are trying to be in the community, about how we are trying to magnify the name of Jesus, leave people more impressed with him than us, try and give people this living water in a world that desperately needs it. There's a box on your card that says, I'd like more information about an interest meeting. Man, if God is stirring something in your heart, I would love for you to sign that. Just put an X, I just want more information. And ultimately, I pray today that you leave with your thirst quenched. Not because of how cool this building is, thank God. Not because of how awesome the worship is. Not even necessarily because of the things I said, but because you saw Jesus today. And there was something inside of you that came and you didn't realize how dehydrated you were. And you're gonna go out into a physically hot world and I want you to leave spiritually full and alive. You got spiritual electrolytes all up in your system right now. Amen. So God, here's what we realize. That no one is so good that they have no need for a savior. 
and that no one is so bad that they are without hope of a savior. Help us use the power of the gospel as we should. Would we not seek self-righteousness and pride, but humility to take the road less traveled? And through curiosity, would we give people a fresh, renewed picture of who you are? 